You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Last week we talked about head doubts. There are a lot of questions that swirl around the question, how do we know what we think we know in our heads? And Jesus was our teacher. He told us a story about a farmer. What we learn from the farmer is that doubt is just a part of faith. In fact, it's an essential nutrient for growth. And uh, so we doubt our beliefs and we doubt our doubts and we grow. This week, ethics doubts. A lot of questions that swirl around the question, how should we live? And again, Jesus will be our teacher. He's going to tell us a story about ethics. Uh, Would you open up your Bibles? Let's look at this. I want to set the context. Matthew 21, uh, verses 28 through 32 is the actual story. Uh, If you're just grabbing, if you didn't bring a Bible, pull the black book out and turn to page 803, and you'll find Matthew 21, verse 28. Now, before we look at the story that Jesus told, it's always important to look at the context, and the context for the story is an argument about authority, moral authority. It's about John the Baptist. And they're asking this question, okay, where did his authority come from? Did John's authority come from heaven, which case he speaks for God? Uh, His teaching represents in some meaningful way divine truth. It represents the one who gave us life, telling us how to live it. So does his authority come from heaven? Or the alternative that comes up here, is, is his authority come from humans? Uh, does John the Baptist speak for himself? Does he get authority just because he's popular? And does it come from the crowds? Does he have kind of a mandate? He's trending now. Is that why we should listen to him? Does he represent the best of human wisdom? See, that's the other alternative. In, in essence, the question then is, is it up to us to figure out how to live? Or does something or someone beyond us have something to say about the matter? This is not a new question. It's an ancient question. And it's a very important question. And I wonder, what do you think? But before you formulate an answer to that, I I, I want you to notice that in this passage here that precedes the story, uh, the people who are engaging with Jesus around this question have biases that prevent them from getting an objective answer to it. And the same is true for us. We all have biases that make it hard to get a straight answer. And so really what we're doing in this doubt series is we're trying to surface some of our subterranean biases and understand them better. So we're looking at, we're benefiting from the work of a Canadian philosopher named Charles Taylor who wrote this massive, heavy, long book uh, called A Secular Age. Uh, Charles Taylor teaches up at McGill University. He's trying to help us understand our modern biases and the tensions that make us all both believe and not believe at the same time in the modern era. And his framing question, just to simplify it, is why was it relatively easy to believe in 1500, but relatively hard to believe in the year 2000? I think what he's doing in the book, he's essentially rolling up the rug, pulling up the floorboards, and looking at the beams on which we stand. We don't think about them very often, but there they are. And, and he's going to encourage us to think about them as axes. Uh, th- these are axes along which the ways people tend to see th- themselves shift. Uh, his argument is that there have been several massive intellectual shifts along uh, these axes. 
that deliver us to this day in the way we think about things. So today we're going to look at the ethics axis and uh, the question, how should we live? Here's one way to describe this shift as Taylor might describe it to us. There are three critical points. There's the, in the ancient era, uh, the universe was thought to have an impersonal order. And m much of your life is determined by this impersonal order, referred to like as fate. You have fate, you know, Oedipus has fate. And just your life just kind of works out the way it works out because of the way the universe is. And so in some sense, ethically speaking, we are captive, we're limited, uh, bound by that. Okay, then the next stop along this axis, the biblical era, that starts to shift. Now in the biblical period, we're taught to understand ourselves as uh created by God. We're made in the image of God. We're co-creators with God. So we're sovereign, moral agents in the world, uh, which means now we have a kind of a responsibility. Uh, there's a dignity that comes with that. We have a, an accountability that comes to that, to serve well as agents of the one who created all things. And then the final stop here is, you know, where we are today, the modern age. Uh, here, the thought about God, any connection to God recedes into the background. Uh, we see ourselves in a universe that is now disenchanted. We no longer have this kind of what we what might have, might see today as magical thinking or spiritual words that held at a dist safe distance uh, from us. And the individual now is therefore supreme. Uh, so if there is any ethical framework that guides our lives, we have the burden of creating it ourselves and, and living into it uh, for ourselves. We're not accountable to anyone but ourselves in the, in the modern era. So we can think of ourselves as inventors, deciding what is right or wrong, what is good or bad according to ourselves. And the point is that when we ask ourselves any kind of ethical question today, it's complicated, it is. So let's go back to the question that they're asking uh, about John the Baptist. Jesus, in his characteristic way, you know, he doesn't give them a straight answer. But what does he do? He says, well, that's a good question. Let me tell you a story. which raises more questions than it answers in some way. Uh, but it's a thought-provoking story. So um, if you're able, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew 21, 28 through 32, page 803, and uh, stand and read God's word aloud together. We're going to read this story that Jesus told them. And when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son... Go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This is the word of the Lord. As Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. I love it the way Jesus starts that. Well, what do you think? Like he wants to get us thinking. And I want to say that in my opinion, uh, nobody 
examines this passage, this little story, better than Earl Palmer, our pastor emeritus. And so I commend to you one of his books called Laughter in Heaven. There's a chapter here entirely devoted to this little story that Jesus tells, and it is a wonderful uh, chapter. Uh, uh, Earl teaches us that, uh, that Jesus is after this. What happens when Jesus makes a claim on a life causes a reaction. And we see here two reactions. The father sends two sons out into the vineyard to work. And the first one, he says, no, not going to go. But then he changes his mind. Now, in the only the way Earl could say it, he says the first son is a big problem at breakfast in the morning, right? But a joy at supper because he's worked in the end. And then the father turns to the other son and says, go into the vineyard today. And that son, the second, says, yes, I will, sir. But then he never goes into the vineyard. And of him, Earl says, well, he's a joy at breakfast. He seems very eager, but he's a big problem at supper. And now what Earl says is that unfortunately for uh, the cheerful second lad, this is a supper parable. It's not about breakfast. <laughs> it's, about, it's about supper. I, I just love that. So I can't improve on it. I don't intend to today. just want to share that with you. The whole thing made me wonder, what would happen if these two sons sat down for supper in the 20th, uh, 21st century or in the year 2000? Um, you know, in the modern age, in the secular age. What would they teach us about our ethical uh, challenges and doubts? Well, let's find out. I'm going to invite Byron Walker to come up here, who is a uh, senior at University of Washington in theater arts and in oceanography. Ever miss dad? The old man's been dead for 2,000 years. I know, I know. It's just, I thought he was a great guy, a, a good man. We've done good by him. Yeah, he got his money's worth out of us. Uh, you know, I never cared much for grapes. What? His hands, the man's hands were always purple. Thank God it never happened to me. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have any doubts? Doubts about what? Well, about what we did. <laughs> or about what we do. Or about what we should do. Since when did you get a conscience? I don't know. It's just we've had a long time to think about it. Ancient history. I know. It's just that he's our father. And you only get one. And we didn't do what he wanted. So I gave up a day in the vineyard. I told the old man I'd work and I didn't. I changed my mind. I lied, if you want to call it that. No big deal. What he doesn't know won't hurt him. Yeah. But Saul, uh, what I did, what I did, at least you got out of the house gracefully. You showed the man some respect, some honor. At least that. You said no later with your actions, but I said no to his face with my words. I disowned his claim on my life. I disowned our father. I, I, 
Ask any Palestinian man today. He'll tell you a day's work in the vineyard is a little thing, but to say no to your father's beard is a grievous sin, a grievous sin. Remember Exodus 21. Whoever curses father or mother shall be put to death. What I mean is, you didn't work that day true. But me, that morning, I, I turned my back on my father. That day, I forfeited my right to the vineyard forever. Don't beat yourself up about it, Esau. Who knows? Maybe you were just a little sick in the head that morning. <laughs> a little bad cheese, poor night's sleep. I prefer to think of these things the way they do today. Not in moral terms, but therapeutic. Hmm? A little of your weakness came out that morning. That's all. Yeah, thanks. I'm not sure that makes me feel much better, knowing I'm sick. Why? Think of it that way, and it all just bleeds the responsibility, doesn't it? You were impetuous, reactive, disrespectful. Sometimes that's just who you are, Esau. Come on, man, you can't help it. We're all broken in our own little ways. Truth is, I'd be glad to trade guilt for weakness, if I could. But I doubt it's so easy, and I, I doubt it's a fair trade. What do you mean? Well, if the problem is sickness, that I just did whatever I could do in my condition, then I dodge the guilt, but I also lose my dignity. I'm ethically disabled, not free to choose the good. But if the problem is sin, see, that I chose what was not good, at least I've still got dignity. I'm capable of evil or good, me. And I'm not stuck. Through prayer and God's help, I can grow to make better choices in the future. And I like that better. To each his own. But... I say move on. You and I made our decisions. They may not have been the best decisions, but they were ours. We can't go on living someone else's life. We can't live in someone else's shadow. Do you think the old man would have wanted that? No, I guess... Of course not. No, no father wants their kid to hang on his every word. What should I do? What should I do? No, it's time for you and me to grow up. Leave father out of this and grow up. the Bible. <laughs> okay, maybe I do have doubts, but if you're going to talk about the Bible, I've definitely got some doubts. Well, you used to quote the Bible to me all the time. Esau, that was the first century. Now we make data-driven decisions. We're all grown up. Data-driven decisions. What do the data say about disobeying your parents? Well, that it's bad for the survival of the species. What do the data say about slavery? I, I don't know, same thing. Hmm. I wish the Egyptians had had data. <laughs> if you want to read the Bible, read the Bible. But these days, they don't read it the same way we did. They have a biologist named Richard Dawkins who wrote, <clears throat> The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous, 
and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. And if that's true, how can we get any ethical guidance from God? Well, I doubt that it is true. And I doubt that it's possible to get ethical guidance without God. Maybe that's why this same Richard Dawkins continues to call himself a cultural Christian. Probably he likes the organ. <laughs> Probably he likes Christian morality. I wonder if he's ever considered how his ethical critique of God would even be possible without Christianity and its influence on his culture. I don't know, but... But are you saying that people can't be good without a belief in God? No, I... Because I doubt that very much. I think that people of this age are far better on the whole than the people of ours. In fact, I'd say there's never been a more morally attuned generation in the history of the planet. The more they march for human rights, they crusade against human trafficking, mobilize enormous resources to address humanitarian crises all around the globe. Wait, did you say round? It's true. Well, I'll be. <laughs> Read the news. Listen to their discourse. It's filled with moral outrage. They don't believe in God, that's true. But they make our Pharisees look like prodigals. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm asking is how do they know oh, what's come right? Come on, you just know. Uh, I, see, that's what I doubt. I doubt you can find ethics inside of yourself. And certainly not in the natural world. <laughs> Nature is red in tooth and claw, as one of their own poets wrote. Nature doesn't teach you that human life is supremely valuable, that all people are equal, that we ought to care for the poor and vulnerable. I learned that in the Bible. But if you didn't learn it from there, you would have known it anyway. Maybe, but wouldn't that be because our culture has the Bible? Maybe, but I doubt it. So let me ask you this. Would you have gone into the vineyard that day to work if Dad hadn't asked you to do it? He did ask me, and I didn't do it. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Uh, let me ask you this way, then. <clears throat> Did you think you were doing something wrong when you didn't? Like you were breaking a law, like dad's law? Uh, a little, I suppose. What about you? Would you have gone out if the old man hadn't asked you? Probably not. Truthfully, uh, I like grapes more for drinking than for hauling. Well then, maybe you were right to say no, although I don't think I would have said it to his face. No. But I don't believe in giving and taking orders. One man just shouldn't be telling another man what to do with his life. We all got to come to it in our own way. Each of us. They made too much of fathers in our day, if you ask me. Don't you believe in equality? I do. Me too. And here's something else I doubt. That you can believe in equality and at the same time believe that your ideas are better than anyone else's. Everyone's got a right to be wrong. 
I ought to know, Saul. I was wrong. No, you just took a different path. Your path wasn't any better or worse than anybody else's. Probably a surprise to hear from your little brother, uh, but I've learned. We just can't judge. We're all equal. That's what they believe now, and I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But I do have some doubts. What doubts? Well, that you can have justice without a judge. Hmm. Michael Sandel, a professor today, says, justice is inescapably judgmental. Hmm? If he's right, then someone's wrong. Hmm. And if someone's wrong, can we have justice without saying so? Michael Sandel writes, a politics emptied of substantive moral engagement makes for an impoverished civic life. Well, of course nobody wants that. I'm talking about substantial moral engagement. I'm talking about absolute equality, tolerance, non-discrimination, freedom. Well, how... How, how do they know these things are good things? <laughs> seems obvious to me. Yeah, it seems obvious to me too. But you and I come from the same culture. A culture that had the Bible. There are other cultures out there that see things differently as good. And those things seem equally obvious to them. So whose intuitions win? Should we insist on ours? That seems rather imperialistic. My brain hurts. Mine too. (laughs) Look, all I'm trying to say is that we all act like good and evil are real things. We want to say that certain things are wrong. Not just bad ideas, but wrong. Racism, corruption, environmental degradation, genocide. For all people and all times... We don't generate these values. We bump into them, or they bump into us. They have to come from somewhere beyond. Let me guess. God. That's my guess, too. (sighs) Let me ask you a question. What made you change your mind and go out into the vineyard to work after all? the damage had already been done. You told the old man no. Nothing you could do could undo it or fix it. You were nasty, but you were free. At that point, you didn't have to work. Why not take the day for yourself? Why go work? Love. (laughs) What? You love the old man? No, yeah. no, no, no. You knew that I would be a big problem at supper and you would be a joy. No, Saul, no. I, I did want to be a joy at supper, but not like you say. No, I, I got over by the big tree and I stood there and remembered his hands. They, uh, they reminded me of something. The purple hands. Saul, he called me son. Son, you too. He said, son, go work in the vineyard today. That's what he said. And I sat there at that tree and said to myself, son. And I felt sorry, deeply sorry. Saul, I I really hurt him. I think I broke his heart. I, I know. We've seen our father's heart. 
Yes, yes. Not just that he would welcome both of us back to his table for supper, no matter what we did or didn't do during the day. Yes. But that he would love us enough to let us both break his heart. He let us wound him. (laughs) That's when it hit me. I hit it backwards the whole time. Exactly backwards. Whatever dad wanted me to do, he didn't want me to do it for his sake. He wanted me to do it for my sake because he loves me. When I realized that, I, I, I want to do everything that I do for his sake. And, and that's why I went back. Love. And now that's why I do anything or everything. I want to bring him joy. So you're ready to do whatever he tells you? Yeah. Even if you don't understand why? Yeah. Even if you don't want to? Yeah. Even if you're afraid? Yes. Even if you have doubts? Yes, I do have doubts, Saul. Just like you. The same doubts. I've got lots of questions. But the answer... To the question, how should I live, is easy. It's him. It's dad. <laughs> you saw, you're starting to sound like a Christian. I'm not a Christian. Why not? Because I don't even exist. We're characters in a story, Saul. <laughs> and yet, you were very real to me. Hmm. Very real. I, I admire your love for our father. But here's the way I see it. No, no matter how clear our thinking, no matter how certain our convictions, uh, how strong our motivation, we can't even meet our own ethical standards, let alone someone else's. Yes, I agree. But the story in which we are characters, this story, it's been written so that in the end, we don't have to. Maybe... Maybe that's why one of their theologians said, there's no sentence that starts with I and finishes somewhere with salvation and liberty. Yes, yes. This story doesn't begin with I. It begins with a son. (laughs) A son. Not you. Not me. A son who turns to our father and says, yes, with his words and yes with his actions somehow this great son will go out into all of creation and all of history he'll claim us he'll go out in the morning and come back in the evening and bring us through all of our thorny doubts with him to the father's supper and to joy to salvation and liberty yes and to justice and to justice to a round world turn right and good as can only now be seen in the heart of God and in Dad's hands, which you say are permanently red on account of the grapes. Let's pray. Gracious God, you made yourself known to us as Father, our Father who art in heaven. Help us in our unbelief, for we do believe. Open our minds and hearts to the mystery and beauty of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life, 
It is only through him that we come to know you, but especially through him that we come to know you as our Father. We thank you for who he is. We thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection power. And we pray tonight that on each of us, you would shed generously the full measure of your Holy Spirit, that your fruit might come to bear in our lives. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.